the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Man, I don't want what I've done in darkness to be shouted on the rooftop. Man, that's why I asked Christ in my life. I want it to be forgiven. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Now listen. I am not on a soapbox right here. I am teaching what the Word of God teaches. And when you disregard what God says, you end up with what we have here today. See, this is why we have all these horrible crimes that are happening today. All of our cities are spiking in murders. New York was one of the vacation spots of the world. People want to go to New York and go to Times Square. You can't go there now. You can't. It's like people will kill you. I mean, you can't walk the streets anymore. And it all switched just in a matter of a few months. It's like everything is completely out of control right now. This is why the Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Because the sentence of an evil deed is not executed quickly, because you don't keep my law when it comes to executing people. He says, therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. And that's what's happened. It's like, there's no fear. See, if everyone knew like, man, if I kill that guy, they're going to arrest me. I'm going to be dead in 24 hours. I'm not going to kill someone. See, because I know that there's a huge price to pay. And that fear would go throughout and you would understand. It's like, you know what? I hate that person. I want to take him out, but I'm not going to do it because I know that I'll lose my life. And see, the murder rate would plummet tremendously. But because we don't do that and because we don't hold to God's law, that's why we have so much murder and anarchy in our society today. Because we have once again, we have abandoned what God has said in his word, thinking that somehow our way is a better way. And because of this insanity thinking, you think that we would have learned? You think like, oh, gee, we're all wrong here. No, we're getting even worse. Which brings up our point, a promise given. Let's read what it says here in Genesis chapter 9, picking up in verse 8. It says, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth that's with you and all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by water of the flood. Neither shall there ever again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant. Notice how many times he says the covenant, the covenant, the covenant, which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. 
Verse 13, here's the covenant. I set my bow, talking about the rainbow, in the cloud. And it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow, the rainbow, will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow, the rainbow, is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Boy, we have a big old, you know, gnarly rainstorm, especially when I lived on the East Coast. Man, thunderstorm, crash, burn, lightning, you know, everything. And then all of a sudden, it's over with. And then, beautiful rainbow in the sky. You're like, wow, that's God's covenant. See, I held back. I didn't keep it raining. I didn't get, it's like, that's my covenant. I'll never destroy the earth by water again. Yes, that is God's covenant. Notice again in verse 9 that God made this covenant with Noah and his descendants. That's us. For we have all come from Noah and his children. And what a great promise it's given to us that he is never, ever, ever again going to destroy the earth with water. So God formed a rainbow in the sky. A bow, it's God's eternal covenant, eternal promise that states, I'm never, ever going to destroy the earth and humanity by water again. Yes, it's a perpetual, symbolic reminder of God's promise. But like we read in 2 Peter 2, 7 earlier, the next judgment is reserved for fire. God will destroy this earth with fire next time. When we go into the apocalypse, once the rapture of the church happens and we are taken away, then there's going to be seven years of tribulation and there will be fire that comes down on this earth and it will be destroyed until Jesus Christ comes back at the second coming with us in the clouds and the air and he sets his foot down on the mountain of olives and makes a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, it will all happen just like he promised. That's why it's so important for us, you and me as believers. This is why it's so critical to spread the good news of salvation in Christ by personally sharing this message of hope and salvation with all those who have embraced sinful lifestyles, which in this city is almost everybody, right? You know, if they've rejected Christ as their Savior, we need to share with them. Because if we don't share with them, who will? We are the generation of people that are responsible for this generation. No one else is here to share with them. We looked at the repopulating of the earth. We looked at eating meat and the green vegetables of the earth, along with capital punishment for those that murder people. Then we looked at a promise given. The establishment of the rainbow as a covenant between God and man, that God would never destroy the earth by water again. And he called it a covenant seven times in verses 9 through 17. 
It is kind of odd, though, how the homosexual group, the LBGQT, and, you know, have embraced the rainbow as their sign of freedom and who they are. It's like, do they recognize that, that that sign of the rainbow was a sign of God's ultimate destruction on humanity that lived in sin and didn't obey God's laws? Now, listen, I am not, you know, homophobic, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, because when Jesus died, he died for every fornicator, every thief, every lying, cheating dog, uh, and every homosexual. He died for every adulterer. He died for everyone. But when we come to know Christ as our Savior, we have to turn from our sin. And it's like homosexuality in the Bible is sin. Just like me, I was a fornicator, and when I came to know Christ, I had to repent of being a fornicator, and God forgave me of my sin, and God can forgive anybody of any sin that they've ever done. And by the way, the person that murders someone who should have their life taken, they can repent of their sin and go to heaven. They still need to die for what they've done, but they can still go to heaven if they truly repent of their sin. That's why Jesus died for us. And so, amen. But it is kind of it is kind of odd that the homosexual group would take the rainbow as, you know, their flying of colors. It's like that was a sign of judgment. Okay? And judgment is coming once again. Everyone needs to repent of their sin and come to know Christ. And the only reason I say that is because there's a lot of homosexuals in our world today, and I want them to know. And this is what the truth is. People don't want to speak the truth. You know, people are not tolerant anymore. People are like, they want to bash your head. You're going to believe the way that we believe, or we're going to torment you and make your life miserable. But true love, getting back to 1 Corinthians 13, true love bears all things and speaks the truth. And the truth is that if you live in a homosexual lifestyle, just like if you're an adulterer, Just like if you're in a fornicating lifestyle, living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, just like if you're a thief, you are not going to go to heaven. But if you repent of your sin and you turn from your sin, then you can be forgiven. And God loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to woo you into his kingdom because he cares about you. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Christians will take this high road, like somehow like homosexuals or or worse off than other people. Look, it's all the same. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short, and no one's going to heaven outside of Christ and being forgiven of their sins. So I just wanted to point that out. Which leads us to our final point, a moment of darkness. Now, again, you would think that we could get a little farther past the flood before darkness stepped back in, you know, uh, the moment where sin comes in. But when man's involved, hey, we're always going to mess things up, right? We've been messing things up from the beginning, and we've still messed things up. That's why the world's a mess right now. But let's read what he has to say here in Genesis chapter 9, picking up in verse 18. It says, Now the sons of Noah who come out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. That was his son. And these three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was Populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. We're not giving track of time. Going to the next verse, a whole season went by. The, the, the things grew up. Who knows? It could have been five years for them to mature and start producing fruit. But anyway, he drank of the wine uh, and became drunk. And he uncovered himself inside his tent. So here's 
We got Noah, drunk as a skunk, rolling around naked in his tent. Okay, all right, hello. Okay, verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told the two brothers outside. Okay, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it both on their shoulders and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Verse 24, and when Noah awoke from his wine, okay, the hangover the next day, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. So he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan uh, be his servant. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Why? That's living a long time. Now, here we have, again, you know, this whole situation. Now, the beauty of the rainbow has now turned into a shadow. So the Bible is very honest because you're thinking like, why do we have to read this? You know, it's like, and it would have been really easy just to keep this out of the text. Like, it could have just been wonderful. And, and Noah got out of the boat, and they all you know, multiplied, and they were making babies, and everything was wonderful. Why did we have to put this at the end of chapter 9? You know, but the Bible is very honest and upfront. The Bible never glosses over the bad. It would have been really easy to leave this out, but God has chosen to be honest with humanity. And God records the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the Bible is extremely true and factual. Even when it hurts its heroes, the men of the Bible are seen for exactly who they are. We see their strengths along with seeing their weaknesses. For example, David had his Bathsheba moments. Gideon, who was that faithful, wonderful, you know, warrior for the Lord, he had his fleece moment. Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he had his disobedience. He was head and shoulders above the rest, but he played the fool in the end. Peter had his inconsistencies, putting his foot in his mouth, and then he denied the Lord that he even knew him at the end, three times before the little rooster went cock-a-doodle-doo. And how can any of us judge them? How can we point our finger at them without having three little piggies pointing back at us? For we too are flawed, are we not? We are weak at times. Could you imagine if our life was revealed through the microscope of God's recorded word? I got one word. Ouch. Man, I don't want what I've done in darkness to be shouted on the rooftop. Man, that's why I asked Christ in my life. I want it to be forgiven. The Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, talking about the Old Testament. It says, and through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We can have hope. See, I don't know about you, but I learn a lot when I see things are done wrong. It's like, you know, when I see everything done right, okay, I learn from that too. But, but when I see someone doing stuff wrong, it's like I grow from that. I was involved with a church many years on the East Coast, and I saw a lot of things done wrong. To this day, I still look back decades ago and say, I don't want to do that. Oh, I remember when they did, I don't want to do that. I remember how that person would treat people and the anger and, and demoralizing them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. 
I, you know, I don't want to do that. I, 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 I still get, you know, on my guys at times when things aren't done right and whatever, and I'll get on them, but I love them and I care about them. I don't want to humiliate them and, and demoralize them, but I've seen that happen. It's happened to me and I don't want to do it. So I learn from things that are done wrong. So the Bible, they put things in the Bible that are done wrong so that we can learn from them. And now let's look at this incident a little closer. First, we have Noah getting drunk as a skunk. This is the first time we read of wine in the Bible. Now, we know that God condemns getting drunk. And we know that they were getting drunk, uh, you know, before the flood because they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, there was all kinds of sexual perversion. So they were drinking stuff back then, but this is just the first time that the word wine is actually mentioned. But what does the Bible say about wine? Because there's so many people like, hey, don't judge me, bro. Uh, you know, I'm having my wine. You know, it's like, hey, Jesus drank wine and they want to justify themselves and all of this. But let's just see what the Bible says about wine. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. So you have a little tipsy bottle thing and you are, you know, getting a little wasted and everything. It's like, hey, listen, you know what? You're not wise. You're giving an opportunity for the enemy to steal in your life. You will make decisions that you shouldn't make when you're intoxicated. You're not of a clear mind. That's why the Bible says, be of a sober spirit. Proverbs 23, 29 says this, who has woe? Do you have grief in your life? He says, who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Do not look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Oh, that tastes so good. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. It's like, look, stay away from it. You know, I have chosen, look, is it sin to have one glass of wine? No, I I can honestly say it's not sin to have a glass of wine. It's not sin. But does one glass turn into two glasses? Does it turn into three glasses? I remember when I first got saved, there was a really good friend of mine that I worked with, and and, uh, I led him to Christ, and he was the very first person I led to Christ. I was just preaching to him every day, you know, and I remember I was just preaching and preaching, and then he finally said, you know, him and his wife, I was in their family room, and I'm preaching, 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 preaching. I've been preaching to him for like, you know, weeks, and and then he says, okay, I want it. And I'm like, huh, what? He goes, I want it. And I'm like, okay, awesome. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, it's like I didn't know what to do. And I remember in my Bible, I had this little note on uh, sinner's prayers. So I'm flipping through there. And I'm like, where's that first? Where's that thing? You know, because I didn't know what to do. And then the wife goes, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I'm like, okay, now it does appear that way. <laughs> and, and before I had a chance to say yes, I found where they had this little verse on how to lead someone to Christ. And so I read it to him out of the Bible. Okay, pray this. Okay, Lord Jesus Lord Jesus, okay, uh, come into my heart, come into my heart. <laughs> it's like, you know, and so anyway, but I remember, you know, he had a drinking problem. And so he would go get a six pack of beer after, you know, uh, after the job site. We'd be out working and everything. And it'd be hot here in Southern California. And he'd stop and get a six pack of beer. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so, I was trying to help him from getting drunk. So 
I would drink three and he would drink three. I'm like, okay. But my only problem was he would go get another one and then he would drink three more and I would drink three more. And I'm like, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> it's like, my plan is not working. Okay. But anyway, so Noah must have known that it was wrong to drink because again, one of the main sins in his day before the flood happened was drinking, which led again to the sexual perversion and finally God's judgment. So then in steps Noah's son, Ham now. Now we're not told what happened exactly. And some have been quick to say that there was some type of a homosexual lust in Ham's heart and they'll try to put all these other things together. But We're not told that, and I don't think that's what happened at all here. Uh, A much more probable interpretation of this portion of Scripture is that Ham had a long-hidden resentment to his father's authority. Maybe he wanted to be the leader of the repopulation of the earth. Maybe he looked at his father drunk and naked and was just laughing. I'm like, look at you. What a joke you are. You're the leader. You know, you're the leader of the pack here. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yes, we can walk with the Lord for years. We can be faithful to him. Yet one mistake can allow a huge blow in our walk and our integrity. So be careful. You have to guard yourself. You know, you just you can't go to places you shouldn't go. You can't look at things you shouldn't look at. You know, you just, you have to you have to stay focused because we're in the last days. The enemy. I mean, we're at the end, and so we we have to stay focused here. The text lends itself to this: the fact that he was just mocking his father, as Ham mocked his father to his brothers in verse twenty-two. So he was mocking to them, but they didn't look. Or mock their father, did they? His two other brothers. They just, they walked backwards into the tent. They covered up their father. Uh, Noah, in verse 25, cursed him, you know, because he mocked him. And he cursed his descendants. Now, as we end here, our title is Love Covers All. And that is true. Love covers a multitude of sins. But sin exposes. You know, the other two brothers, they covered their father while Ham wanted to expose their father's sin. Yeah, let, 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 look at the leader here that God raised up. What a joke he is. Remember what happens when you mock the leader that God raises up? Remember how Miriam, Moses' sister, mocked him? You remember what happened? God dropped leprosy on her. Here, how about that? And she said, hey, we don't have to just listen to Moses. God speaks to me too. Oh, yeah, who have some leprosy. Oh, not good. Okay. Remember what Korah, Korah and all his band. Hey, you know, God can speak to us too. God opened up the ground and swallowed them up. Okay. So it's like, it's like, look, it's not that Moses was perfect, but that's who God raised up. I wonder what we do. Do we want to expose other sins so that maybe we can make ourselves look better. Oh, well, you know, yeah, brother so-and-so, yeah, they're so nice. Yeah, our sister's so nice, but, you know, she does this. And plus, she looks like she got dressed in the closet with the lights turned out. You know, it's like, you know, and it's like, so we can say our little digs and all that. Is that what we want to do? Do we want to call them on the carpet? Are we guilty of trying to make someone else look bad to make ourselves look better? I think I've done that in my life a few times. And it's just like, it's wrong. It's wrong. God wants us to reach out. He wants us to love one another. He doesn't want us to expose, especially the household of God. That's why it says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have the opportunity, let's do good to all men, especially those of the household of the faith. 
And so we should be reaching out. We should be saying, oh, God, how can I uplift my brother and sister? How can I be a light that shines in this dark world? Amen? We looked at a lot of stuff here today. I mean, we were looking at all kinds of stuff today. And maybe you find yourself where you feel distance from God. And it's like you've got things going on in your life that shouldn't be there. Well, guess what? Here's the bad news is there's going to be a judgment The bad news is that everything we've done in the dark is going to be shouted on the rooftops of heaven one day. That's the bad news. It's like you can't hide it. But no one else was there. But God was there. He sees everything in the dark. And he's going to shout everything in the light. So the good news is this. The good news is if we repent, God will forgive us. The good news is if we say, oh, God, I've done wrong. God, have mercy on me. God will have mercy on you. The bad news is it's appointed for every man and every woman to die once. And after this comes judgment. That is bad news. There is no way to repaint that because we've all done bad stuff. But the good news is that's why Jesus came. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.